Hey, podcast buddies. We're going to talk to Mark Groves. He's amazing. He's just, he just makes such good sense. He's a relationship coach. He's, he's all things awesome. Uh, but first, this episode is powered by ZStack. Okay, you know, I interviewed Dr. Zelenko recently, and he's the guy who created the Z-Stack. He came up with this combo to make your immune system bulletproof against the V. It's the quercetin-zinc combo with the vitamin C, vitamin D. In fact, me taking and loving the product is why I reached out to interview Dr. Zelenko. And of course, now they are a partner of the show. So listen, if you want to get your hands on Z-Stack, go to my website, find the link there, or go to zstack.ca slash kid. That way, they'll know I sent you. Okay, Mark Groves. So this is great. Thanks for making the time, man. Yeah, man. I honestly I actually feel like you live with my family because I hear your voice like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had some really beautiful exchanges with uh, your wife and, you know, you're in Vancouver and I used to actually be in Vancouver. I moved to Calgary and then left Canada in October. Where'd you go to? Uh, at first, I went down to Vegas because my partner's American. I have a, I had previously had a work visa, so I was, you know, kind of lucky for the timing of all that. Yeah. And I uh, went down to Vegas. Her fian her twin had a baby, so we went down and spent time with the family. And then we went to Idaho, and I was actually in Idaho for uh, three months, and then just back in Vegas with family. But wow, yeah, Idaho was such a. I had kept having these contrasting experiences because I would be in uh, Vancouver. I was in Tofino in September and the mandates kicked in while I was there. And the, I think it was on the 13th of September, they kicked in. It's funny when you remember dates that have significant impacts on you. And we were having dinner at uh, Wolf in the Fog mm -hmm. at the bar. And I was saying to Kylie, my fiance, uh, it's interesting that tomorrow we won't be able to eat at restaurants. Like this is such an arbitrary day mm. um but what a significant uh day to mourn belonging mm -hmm. and then we went to alberta and they kicked it in there and i uh, went down to the states and i just kept experiencing places that were wide open that had respect you know like if someone felt uncomfortable they'd wear a mask or not or whatever you know people were responsible for their own health choices and, and there was also a community aspect. I think that's important. And uh, I was just like, how are things so different? One county over, one community over. And yet the numbers were not so different that you'd be like, oh, well, that makes sense there. And we should all be doing that. If we were all following the science, we'd end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. I've had the same thing for you. We were very cognizant of like, okay, this is our last supper. <laughs> Right. the family. We went to Cactus yeah. Club, right? <laughs> hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna go out, I mean, well, got to go somewhere with the kids, right? So we're uh, yeah, sitting in the booth, and it was like, wow, okay, what am I? What's my last order gonna be? And I I I, I ordered <laughs> the very last thing that the chicken cheddar Cajun burger. Oh, which, that's a good one, right? Though. Which was the actual first thing I ever ate at Cactus when I moved to Vancouver from from uh, Toronto. So it was sort of like a bookend. Like, okay, I'll bookend my experience here uh, with the same chicken sandwich. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's emotional. The worst part is that some of your friends who are just kind of going along with it, they just, uh, they have no idea. It's like life is normal for yeah. them right now. And, and it feels, it feels very isolating. I think is the only word really to, to describe it. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's, I think like any intersection that we live in, you're not aware of, a uh, privilege till it's taken away on some sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think for a lot of people who are pro mandate in whatever way that might be, but let's just say vaccine passports there it's because their life isn't affected by it. You know, they went and got the medical intervention. What I find very uh, disturbing is that, and just scary is that any dialogue about the subject actually means you're against it. You know, like you're automatically put into this binary that you're anti something mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, like if we were talking about any other medical intervention and you were being curious about it and you Googled it and you learned about the side effects and you did all the, it would be very normal. That's a normal human behavior to be like, Hey, I'm going to put this in my body and I'm not really sure about it. And now, any form of hesitancy is actually put into this box that you're anti. And 
that serves a number of you know real benefits from a psychological perspective. One, it organizes the world in the different in a way that makes it predictable. That's why we say people who are anti are right wing and people who are pro or left wing. Those are that's a false dichotomy. Both of those are not true always. Um, I would say even often. But we do that because it makes the world more predictable in psychology. They call that a decision heuristic. They're like shortcuts to make decisions in life. Mm. And we put people in these boxes. And, you know, I, that absence of dialogue has been happening for a little while, you know, about all subjects uh, that are somewhat triggering or cause emotional discomfort. We've really tried to censor the world so we don't experience discomfort rather than sit in discomfort and be curious about what's there. Um, and that if you think on just a very baseline psychological level, even if you're someone who made the decision to get, uh, the vaccine, I want to say the V cause I'm so used to right. the fact that you can't say words <laughs> anymore, which isn't that crazy. Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, just sit with that, like that alone is, should be enough to put up a giant orange flag, but you know, like in if you are someone who chose to get it and you witnessed people who were given mandates that said, get this thing or lose your job, that's not really a choice. Anytime, like if you wouldn't have gotten the intervention, had there not been something like keeping your job, catching a plane, catching a bus, if you wouldn't have gotten it otherwise to get your life back to normal, then you were coerced. And that's so simple. If you read informed consent, like that's a, it, that, that is coercion. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of pain that comes with just the acknowledgement of that being true. And what's fascinating is that, again, fascinating is the wrong word, scary, is that even if you're pro that stuff, on an unconscious level, there is now a fear that they may come for you one day about something else. You know, and I don't think we recognize the actual cost because even if censorship we agree with about some subjects, it now means that they can do it about any subject. And that's really the challenge of free speech is it's necessary and there's hate speech. So again, hate speech can be very subjective too. Not saying that there's not obvious versions of hate speech, but someone could say that being posting about your side effect that you experience from the, the V <laughs> is actually shouldn't be allowed. Mm. If it was about a birth control pill or a blood pressure pill, we'd be all for it. You know, so yeah. I, to me, there's so many orange and red flags going on that it feels like a carnival, you know, but <laughs> it's not a carnival because it's not fun, you yeah. know? It's it's mind boggling. And I just can't believe that more people aren't uh, stepping up. Like it's the most painful part for me is um, that no one is stepping up. It seems like it's made yeah. me lose a little bit of um, hope in humanity. Although I try to stay positive. Uh, it just makes me really like, like, and people that I really look up to people I love mm. and respect people I've admired people I followed people, you know, you have those people that you just admire and, and for to some of the rhetoric that they've been parroting, I go, Oh my God, you, we've lost another one. You just, yeah. Shocking. Yeah. There's a lot of grief in that, you know, the idea of who we have someone to be, what their values are. Um, and also this, I, you know, I've had to cultivate a lot more compassion for, uh, the opposing thought or view. And that's because what I realize is that everybody has come to their perspective from actually a place of love. Like everybody ultimately is trying to create a safer world, a better world, but they we're orienting around similar values differently. Mm. And when I see someone who's vehemently pro either side, what I see is that they got there through the lens of their own traumas, their own worldviews, their fears. I mean, when you look at what the constant consumption of fear-related information does is it dysregulates us, our nervous system gets dysregulated. We're ultimately afraid of dying. That's really what it comes down to. And that perceived risk has been, when you 
ask people what is your perceived risk of getting COVID and dying versus their act, actual risk, it's completely different. It's way overestimated, and that's due to the consumption of news and constant fear, 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 death counts on news channels. Like all of that stuff actually makes it so we can't consume information in a logical way. We can not only do we have beliefs like this thing's going to save us and natural immunity won't, like these types of beliefs, they become what the language of government has done in media is it has correlated that behavior to goodness. Mm. And if you listen, regardless of the country, most leaders are saying we did the right thing. Well, right thing infers there's a right thing and that means there's a wrong thing. And then we had each other's backs. You listen to Justin Trudeau, he says the same thing every time to every question. He actually doesn't say anything. He's just a, he's just a constant marketing message. Mm -hmm. I can't like, he's so void of humanity now. And that's very triggering for me because he doesn't answer anything. It just pisses me off. I'm like, dude, let's fucking answer a question. But he always says they did the right thing. They had each other's backs. And what this does is inherently people believe they're good. That's just true. We all want to see ourselves as good people. Well, if I'm a good person, and this is what good people do, I'm unconsciously and consciously going to want to choose the behavior that aligns with goodness. And then what protects my choice unconsciously, it's not intentional. What happens is, is, is that I'm orienting around a value that I'm a good person and I value other people's lives. Look at the language we use. It's selfish to not get this. All of this is psychologically planned. You can't, he didn't get on the news and call people misogynist and racist by accident. That wasn't a slip of the tongue. It was very intentional because what it does is it then again associates a group that we're about to dehumanize with a couple groups of people that we would very willingly dehumanize. Mm -hmm. And right. again, that's a trick of psychology to associate the groups. And all that language to say when information comes in that might oppose my choice, I'm, I likely won't bring in that information. And I'll want to demonize the people who didn't do what I did because I took one for the team. You know, and again, all of this really feeds to our identities, our ideologies, our beliefs, uh, using fear to make it so we're even tighter to our ideologies and our beliefs. And, and, and that's when I watch all that, I have so much compassion for people who have been captured by it because to question everything would be so destabilizing to their psychology. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Really mess up their worldview at that point. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it's a good, I, it's a good, plan of action to remind ourselves of being empathetic to the people that just only watch the mainstream news or just follow the prime minister or are, are those people, and I hate to say those people, but are they too far gone? Well, you know, I don't want to claim that I have uh, the answer to that, but my opinion is that no one is too far gone for anything, you know, like if we meet any opposing view with judgment and shame, shaming righteousness because that's all of our ideologies and that what i was just breaking down are protected by righteousness and if we approach what we call the other with that same dehumanization and even not a belief that there is goodness in their intention uh then we're doing the same thing and shit that's been the hardest lesson that i've had to learn in the last two years you know there's a beautiful quote where I forget who wrote it, but I need to remember because it's so beautiful where the writer says that when you draw a circle to exclude me, I draw a bigger circle to include you. Mm. And I really think that's the work of what we're being asked. Look, like families have been divided by this. They've been divided by politics before that. Um, and that's because there's an, we've inferred that there is a value correlated to a choice. And we've also deleted nuance. And really that's where our humanity lives is in the complexity, not in the simplicity of you are either this or you are that. And that's never been true. Like, let's be honest, none of us fit into these perfect little boxes. 
And even this idea that we can is so really discredits our own complexity. And when we put someone in a box, we dehumanize them and we become the type of person who does that. And it's so easy to do that because that's just naturally human to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, you know, for the people who are maybe more curious or asking more questions, I find that they're usually people who have been traumatized by the medical establishment mm. or people who have had to step out of sort of society's narrative. You know, like you spoke out on the radio due to, I'm guessing, so much constraint, like just like, ah, uh, like I got to mm-hmm. let this out. Mm-hmm. And then you were fired, right? I think you were fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so like every worst possibility actually came true. And then here you are liberated. Right. You know, and that's a similar experience for other people is they'll have a capacity, but eventually, you know, they'll learn so much they have to pay attention or, you know, they'll be living in a world where the truth isn't actually even real anymore. And I think that's where we kind of are. You watch the news. If you've done any research beyond just what you see on the news, you're like, hmm. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I mean, I was a pharmaceutical rep for 14 years. It's not like oh, I look at really? all the, yeah. And it's not like I look at all of this and go, I have no perspective. Like I have, I worked in the industry promoting products and promoting teachers, you know, key opinion leaders. Uh, and so when someone says to me, like, stay in your lane, I'm just like, well, first off, I, I built the road. <laughs> Everything's my lane. Right. I get to decide <laughs> right. what I talk about. But even, yeah, I was listening to, uh, uh, is it Dr. Julie, Pol- the ethics, medical ethics doctor? Yes. Out of Pol- U of T, Polinesi, Polin- mm-hmm. I forget her last name. And she was saying that no longer is authority or expertise based on credentials anymore. It's based on agreement. Agreement with the narrative. If you agree with the narrative, then you are an expert. If you don't, even if you're from Harvard or Stanford or Oxford or all of those places, we don't care anymore. You're a quack. And again, how's that not such a scary circumstance for people? When did you first think that things were weird? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about what was my sort of journey to being COVID red pilled. Right. Um, and, you know, at first, I've always been questioning of, the industry and, and different things. And that started when, when I began studying romantic relationships on a deeper level, I saw that so much of the process of disease was due to inflammation and so much inflammation was due to emotional dysregulation and high conflict relationships, et cetera. Mm. And I used to sell a product for irritable bowel syndrome when I first started. And so much, I just realized now in hindsight, I've worked in most disease spaces as a rep. And in hindsight, I just saw, oh man, there's so much more to this. And I remember studying cholesterol and that was the first time that I was like, oh wait, like the cause of heart disease is an inflammatory diet, likely probably more due to sugar than it is fat. Why did we say that fat was the cause of heart disease? And so I started to really go down the rabbit hole and my whole view of like, wait, everything I was taught is actually not true. So when COVID came out, I remember watching those videos of people falling on their face, much like other people I'm sure did. And I was like, hmm, wow, that's scary. Like, I don't want that coming to where I am. And like, maybe I will need this vaccine. And so I was actually totally open to all of the possibilities. But then when I started to know people getting COVID and I started to see that no one was falling on their face randomly, I was like, well, that's weird. Like that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, why would they promote this video? Or like, why would it go viral? And then it actually had nothing to do. Like who orchestrated that in some sense? Because that, even as a public health official, you should invalidate that. Mm. So that's when I was like, hmm, okay. And then when the clinical trials were coming out, I read the trial designs uh, because I was trained to do that and understand them. And I was like, okay, I'm going to assess this for myself. And I was like, wait, they're not checking to see if it reduces transmission. That's not one of the outcomes of the trial, one of the endpoints. 
And I was like, that's interesting. So they're creating a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission and they're not going to be able to say it does because it has to be proven in the clinical trial. And anyone who knows like that world knows that companies don't pick things to make as their clinical endpoints unless they think they're going to hit them. That would be pretty dumb, right? So I'm like, ah, they didn't choose it. So, okay, again, interesting. And I remember having a conversation with a friend who's like, what do you think you're smarter than the epidemiologists and the immunologists and all the ologists? And I was like, no, I'm just saying like, it's not an endpoint of the trial. He's like, why would they create a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission? I'm like, that actually is a great question. Like, why are you mad at me? Like, <laughs> like I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. Yeah. And I was consuming, uh, I was listening to scientists that were being objective and questioning things. And then I was listening to Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather, and they were actually very pro V at the beginning. And I was actually really interested in their perspective because I could feel the objectivity. They were taking in data, discussing it. And when they said it had a 95% reduction, that again, I was starting, also lockdowns came in and I knew that psychologically those didn't make sense. They might for two weeks to flatten the curve, they might be okay. But when I saw that cases weren't changing or th the impact that they were supposed to have wasn't happening, I, from a personal perspective, thought the psychological impact of this is going to be devastating. Mass, I also wasn't sure about because all the studies that I read, I was like, oh, there's no, why can't we talk about this? Again, another red flag. Why couldn't mm -hmm. we talk about any of this? I found people very reactive to any discussion that felt weird. The fact that the government and the media was not discussing the whole thing um that pre biden the conversation was i wouldn't trust if trump made a vaccine but i would and then after everyone's like oh well now i everybody trusts this like all the stuff was just starting to add up mm -hmm. and i mean it, it was just like i kept i i guess i kept getting red pilled moment after moment and when I looked at the trials and the results, and it was a 95% reduction, depending on which trial, I realized I was like, oh, they're using relative risk reduction. And I mean, for anyone, oh, actually also the test, the way the test worked. I used to sell a drug that used the PCR test. That actually was one of the biggest first flags too, because I knew it couldn't be used for diagnostic purposes. I knew how cycle thresholds worked. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. And uh, when I read the trials and they were using relative risk reduction instead of absolute risk reduction. Uh, that again was a red flag to me because in, as a rep, we used relative risk reduction when it was highly beneficial. You know, I forget what numbers was in each group, but it was something like 40,000 in each group. I can't remember, mm -hmm. but either way, 95% reduction, the perspective that we often have is then, oh, well then 38,500 didn't get it. Like that's the way our brains process that. Uh, but really it was, a 95% reduction of the comparable people who got infected. And again, people would have to go learn about it. You can go YouTube that mm -hmm. to learn more deeply. Makes it sound better than it is. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. anyone who was actually asking questions was actually looking at absolute risk reduction. I believe the absolute risk reduction was something like 0.7% in the Pfizer trial. Again, don't quote me on the number, but it was something mm -hmm. minimal like that. Uh, and so all of that together, I was just like, wow. Like this is, this is scary. And also experiencing uh, the circumstances that you were in, you know, that you couldn't talk about these things Why well, I was experiencing the same thing. You know, I was curious as to why they were promoting it in pregnant women when the data wasn't really there yet. Uh, I just saying something is safe and effective felt kind of like gaslighting any sort of concern or hesitancy, you know, and, and that's the thing is I, I really, I, I think I, I resonate so much with a person who has not spoken out or not questioned things because my journey wasn't, I'm vehemently against vaccines and this is just another one I hate. I have all of mine up until this point. So really it was more like, oh, I was just staying curious. I, I really trusted in my own choices about my health. And, you know, I'd had someone say like, how can you not get it? How selfish. Aren't you afraid you're going to take up a hospital bed from someone who really needs it? And I'm like, well, I mean, if I'm in it, I obviously need it. And, you know, and the other thought I had was, well, my risk 
of getting injured from mountain biking is higher or like falling off a ladder. So you haven't told me to stop doing any of those things, but they couldn't process. A lot of people can't process that reality. It's just get this thing and you're a good person or don't and you're selfish. And then we're going to actually remove you from society, which has been modeled by our government. I mean, in Canada, you can't even fly or catch a bus. Like, I think it's the only place in the world. Yeah. I actually I thought Canada yeah. was going to be the last place that that happened. Yeah. It's like they wanted to take down the beacon of hope. First yeah. Or something. It really, I, don't know. I mean, all my American friends were like, when this goes down, we'll all come to Canada. And then, you know, I watched Handmaid's Tale and I'm like, oh, it feels like the opposite now. I don't know if you watched <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's all those dystopian movies were actually really causing me a lot of emotional distress. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we started where... watching it before the masks were introduced. Oh, and my then, God. And so when the masks started being mandatory, my wife and I are like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like Handmaid's Tale that we watched last year. It was just bizarre. What was the bizarre. first red pill for you or like first? point where you were you know because you were deep in the media side of things so i'm curious yeah i mean i've been sort of always dabbled in in uh you know i would say maybe i've been red pilled for maybe 10 years yeah you know reading in the the conspiracy stuff i consider myself a critical thinker um but it was sort of like my version of tmz you know i don't care about hollywood or celebrities but i love like the conspiracy type of uh you know documentaries about the cia and all sorts of wild things but for me with this it was uh when i went on the air and started talking about the masks and i i was invited to a charity softball game and it was still summertime and i found out the day before that we had to wear masks while we played outside while you were playing yeah while we're playing softball and so i just found that out and so i went on the air the next morning and we were just we need material things to talk about so i just started going off about, man, it, I hate that I have to wear a mask at this outdoor softball game. If I had known that before, I wouldn't have RSVP'd, you know, but now it's too late. I don't want to be rude, so I'll go. But man, I wish I didn't have to wear that because I hate wearing masks. And man, did the keyboard warriors and Karens come out in full force and oh hundreds of emails to my boss. And I just said to my boss, wow, wow to your boss to try to cancel you. Yeah. And I said, dude, yeah. we're not supposed to love the masks. Like I said, I'll wear it. Like I had said, it sucks wearing a mask, but I'll wear it to protect people. But man, does it ever suck wearing a mask? Hey, do you hear me? Do you hear me? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, or it's not supposed to be enjoyable yet. People started going out and buying like a, you know, a, a mask that matches their jacket or like leopard print. <laughs> right. Going, oh. Right. They were accessorizing. Yeah, I think like, like brands were doing like, promoting yeah. that kind of thing and i'm going like this is not supposed to be a fun thing it's supposed to be a pain in the ass but it's a thing that we do to protect people so right away i started to to feel like man this is bizarre that people feel like we can't even um say that we don't like the mask like you're only allowed to say i love the mask and that's yeah. it well they, so you're, for, if you're a good person if you're a good person i guess right. now talking to you now that makes total sense but that was the first i thought oh my god and so at that point i wasn't allowed to talk about masks and then you weren't even allowed to talk about it. No. See, that's you know, my, so my, scary because yeah. there's no dissent allowed. Yeah. My boss's line was, um, what you don't say can't hurt you. Oh, that just feels so codependent. You know, it's like the goal is not to free people from any form of discomfort or suffering. It's to actually turn towards it with curiosity. You know, it's like mm. we can all find out from the data that cloth masks really are fairly useless. Lockdowns proved to be pretty useless. Immense harms from lockdowns. Data, which they're probably not gonna look into developmentally for children about masks. I think anyone kind of rationally can understand that there'll be developmental issues and there already are, and that's coming out. Uh, again, though, let's just assume maybe there's not. And the data, you know, maybe one of the, what they would consider the highest quality study might be the Bangladesh study. And I forget what the improvement was. I think it was around 9%, something like that. But given all of the issues, it was kind of considered negligible. Again, we could argue small details, not important. But my point being that we could learn all that. 
and yet we would still be vehemently pro that thing. And that makes me very curious because again, I don't care what someone chooses. I don't care. I'm actually, if you're all for getting it, get it. Again, like I'm all for people's health. I'm all for consideration and compassion and love. I'm just not for doing things that don't make sense. And the reason is, and I think a simple one is restaurants. Mm. I remember the first time I went into a place that needed it. I didn't know because I'd just moved provinces. And I walked to the front and they said, can you put this on? And I went, okay. And I put it on and then I'm not shitting you. We walked six feet and then sat me at a table. And then they're like, you could take it off. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And I know the response people have to that is, but it keeps restaurants open. It's what we need to do. And I, I totally agree with that. I have lots of friends who work at restaurants, own restaurants, manage, you know, all the things. I want them to be taken care of and to have a beautiful life and to not be stressed and to stay open. I have friends whose restaurants closed. Um, but the real slippery slope, again, is when we do things that don't make sense and they start with small things but just do it for everybody else. What happens is, is we start to prepare our mind to tolerate things that don't make sense and then to not question them for the greater good. And what happens is it becomes this very slippery slope where we keep sliding. And I think it was a quote from Jordan Peterson on a podcast where he talks about how, and it was before uh, COVID, you push and push and push till you push them and push them and push them till they protest. And then you stop. And then you push them and push and push them till they protest. And then you stop. But by the time they look at where they ended up, it's three miles from where they started. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that has been, uh, you know, I, the guest who, who used to be a radical um, Islamist, Majid, I forget his last name. Oh, on Rogan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he called it mission creep that we keep mm. creeping. And, you know, I, I honestly, I, I'm kind of at a loss because when you asked what is actually going on, I was not formally, I wouldn't have identified as a conspiracy theorist. I would have identified as a critical thinker too. I like right, that right. Uh, beautiful reframe. But I remember at the beginning, did you ever see that liberal email that went around of like what was going to happen in the next two years? It was yeah, 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 yeah. And someone knew if it was real or not, right? And someone sent it to me, and I was like, "That will never happen." Like about each these things, not in Canada. I said that to my fiance. Well, shit. Like a month later, exactly, it was the hotel quarantines happened, and I was like, "Oh man, okay." Like I'm having some dissonance about this. And it was really watching the language of Justin Trudeau that was really what was starting to really scare me because I've studied abusive relationships. I study communication. I study influence. I study persuasion. I study propaganda. Mm. I was a pharmaceutical, you know, like all these things together created a perfect storm in my nervous system where I was like, (laughs) okay, there's like, I don't know if it's nefarious or just ignorance or I just know that we got to get back on track somehow. Like we have to get back our critical thinking. We have to get back. We have to be willing to upset the people who have the highest level of sensitivity because right now our world, not our world, Canada more specifically and other countries are orienting around the people who have the highest level of anxiety. And again, I have compassion for their anxiety. I'd say in a lot of ways, that was created irresponsibly by the media and also public health officials. Um, you know, I, again, I'm totally pro us working through something together and just not pro irrational things. Like why did we keep locking down when the data was showing that they didn't work? And why do we, I, here's another big red flag I had. Why wouldn't we want to code the deaths accurately? Like that to me was like, wait, wouldn't we want the most accurate possible, not with, but from like, why, why wouldn't we want that? Mm-hmm. And 
why wouldn't we want to set the cycle threshold for the PCR test at a level that we know is probably picking up an active infection rather than as Anthony Fauci called it, dead nucleotides that are just old. Mm -hmm. All of these things put together, scream, I don't they know. They scream man. nefarious. They right? scream something, right? And, and they make you go, I think there are a lot to hold psychologically. Like everything I just said has been a lot to hold psycho psychologically because I've always assumed good intent. And in a mm. lot of ways, I've I've always trusted my government, which probably sounds ignorant um, and privileged. And I've never really been involved in politics. Like I'm, I'm moderately not proud slash proud to say that I'd not voted till the last election. Right. And that that's sad because really I assumed that a democracy would take care of itself, which is the ultimate form of privilege. You know, I assume that what people fought for would just maintain itself without me being part of that maintenance. Mm. And I'm really, you know, I follow uh, Sarah Swain uh, mm. yeah, of Trailblazing awesome. Media. She's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned so much about her political system yeah. from her. And I realized I took, she had a quiz on her Instagram stories yesterday, which I for sure failed. And it was like tests <laughs> about the Canadian political system, but it's really woken me up to that. You know, I'm, I don't know. What do you think's going on? I don't know, but I mean, I, I voted for Justin Trudeau the first time. Because man, he's- No, I right would things. have. Had I voted, yeah. I would have for sure. Yeah. I would definitely not have voted for him the last time because his rhetoric changed the moment he put in that new, uh, the new election. Mm -hmm. He went from being Canada is not a place that does that, puts in passports, mandates anything. We would never do that to- you will not fly on a plane. You will not. Everyone's doing the right thing. His language switched to the very manipulative. He went on a total campaign. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that was very scary to watch because of just my education in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, because man, you, sometimes you see people posting old clips of him speaking from a few years ago and you go, man, if that guy... If another guy showed up saying the exact same things, I'd vote for him. Like he's just so. He's slick. Yeah. He's got slick that hair. And, yeah. You know, he's a good, good looking guy. You yeah. Know, he's inspirational. And yeah, it just kind of stood for what Canada. Now I've kind of, when you see that kind of a switch, how can you ever trust again? You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's tough. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's, what do I think's going on? <laughs> it's, it's a loaded question. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know either. Don't know. You know, it's know. it's so hard to not be brought down trails like the World Economic Forum. Yeah. You know, I think it's just important that we consume different diverse thoughts, you know, about I think there's a lot of concern about this all being set up to eradicate the fiat currency and move to digital currencies. You know, the when you look at like the internet, the internet is the decentralization of knowledge. Beautiful. Before, you know, even success. If you wanted to become a singer, you had to go, you had to be found. You had to be chosen through an agent. If you wanted a TV show, very similar. Now you can create your own, you know, there's a decentralization of a lot of things, mm -hmm. uh, but especially we can learn other perspectives rather than the ones that our TV told us were true. And uh, when you look at history, you can see, unfortunately, time and time again, where the population was misled about a circumstance in order to frame something in a certain way. That makes sense from a political perspective. And, you know, I think the, and, and Bitcoin and, and, and the blockchain is the decentralization of banks. And I really think we're also in a space where we're decentralizing ourselves. And what I mean by that is we're taking what is the main way someone's supposed to live their life. Uh, in religion, you're supposed to have a certain belief. You don't choose your religion. You're born into it generally until you decide that you can leave it if you're allowed to. Um, even relationship, you know, we're learning how to choose what type of relationships we want rather than inherit patterns in relationship. Uh, we're choosing what jobs we want rather than inheriting these sort of industrial industrialized ways of being, these nine to fives, working at factories, working for corporations. And we're choosing our beliefs. And I think uh, 
I don't mean this hierarchically, but I think some people have separated themselves from the narrative could be due to any rock bottom, any realizing like, Hey, what I was taught doesn't make sense. Or what I learned that actually isn't true. Some have already asked that question. Like you said, you've been asking questions for 10 years. My first sort of stopping still and wondering how the world worked was when I got engaged and I wondered why I got engaged. I, I ended that engagement because I was like, I don't, why did I get engaged when I didn't want to be? That didn't make sense to me. Why did I believe in marriage in the way it existed when I saw so many divorces and people who didn't even like each other staying together? I felt like I'd ignored all that information. Mm. Um, and so I really think this is also a really large invitation to the same thing, to, to just beginning to ask more questions, to, to really say, is this belief a belief I truly hold authentically or not? Am I really in a country that's, that values me and prioritizes me or not? And we have to be willing to accept answers that are hard uh, because that's what liberates us. You know, and I don't know that we've ever faced a more challenging time individually and collectively in our time, because of course, I'm sure there's people who have lived through uh, wars and, and obviously in parts of the world too, where that's currently going on, who are going even through much harder things. And where it's not even safe to actually share how you feel. You weren't even allowed to talk about masks anymore because of what it might bring up for people, that it might make them question something. And anytime we choose to no longer participate in conversations, we actually sign up to the cancellation of them ourselves. You know, silence or the absence of speaking, although it might seem like it's immediately protective, and obviously if your life is at risk, that's an important quality. And it's important that we still participate in the conversation because by not doing it, we are actually part of the cancellation, mm. you know? And what I'm that saying must, isn't simple. Yeah. That must've been a bizarre thing to watch with your area of expertise, the uprising of cancel culture. Well, it caused so much self-censorship, you know? It's been, I'm sure for you too. I mean, like, look at what your boss did. Mm. That's cancel culture. Mm -hmm. Look at all these hundreds of people who email your boss because you talked about something and they'd rather take away your job than hear something because, and something that's true. You're saying people don't love wearing them. That's a fact. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly mixed feelings about wearing them, but immediately if you even have a question about it or you want to watch a live open debate, where are those? Where are all the people who questioned lockdowns? Like, yeah, there's that, no debates happening. There's nothing. You think that no. would be the greatest reality show on TV? Everybody wants up? to see it and yeah. you have to find it in the fringe. Yeah. You have to find it in, on things like Joe Rogan, you know, and whatever someone's opinion is of him, I totally sure. And he's the most watched media because he's doing something people actually want. It's not dissimilar to the idea that, and this is a weird parallel, but just stick with me, that 50 Shades of Grey was the most popular, like I think it sold more than all the Harry Potters combined. Something, it's something insane. And if you've ever even read a bit of it, it's not a literary masterpiece, but people have inherent sexual desires and are curious about sex and BDSM and all the things. But instead of actually being able to talk about sex, we then go to these hidden spaces or on the halls of Craigslist, you know, because we've shamed the topic. And so instead of being conscious and open and engaging about it, we hide it. And you know, if you look at systems and the way systems work and even inherited trauma and all that kind of stuff, the work of Mark Wolin, they talk, he talks about how whenever you reject anything, a behavior, a family member, a, a, a truth, it just goes underground and reroutes and becomes stronger. Hmm. And look, like that's what's happening. Look at all these conversations that are happening outside of 
the mainstream. It's making people not trust public health. It's making a large percentage of people not trust media. I mean, I've never seen it like it is today, but I don't trust a single thing that comes out of mainstream media anymore. And I used to, I didn't mm-hmm. watch the news, but I don't trust anything because I look at data and I go, okay, well, they're omitting that. And, you know, I interviewed Jay Bhattacharya, who's a professor of medicine at Stanford and public health. He's an expert at managing and that's his expertise is like looking at large public health issues like a pandemic and how do we manage it? And I asked him, were pandemic, were lockdowns ever part of pandemic plans? And he's like, never, there's no data. Wow. And he's like, we threw out all the pandemic plans and just went with lockdowns. And I asked him, you know, why? And, and, and like, what's the cost of that? And, you know, he's, he said, because we like watched one country do that. And then we just like took their advice, but he was one of the writers of the Great Barrington Declaration. And he said, the Great Barrington Declaration is not some new document or new way of thinking or let it rip as it was marked, you know, in their, uh, in the media, the way the media portrayed it. He said, it was essentially pandemic plans that we'd had for years. And I was like, wow, like, Oh, and cancel culture. I mean, cancel culture is a way for people. Look, I'm for people being held accountable for things they should be held accountable for. I think Mm. that should always be prefaced. But like, what happened to restorative justice? What happened to, you know, learning from someone who's been through something, especially if it's from like 2004 or 2000, you know? And what it really does is it removes any psychological safety to have any dialogues. And how do you operate on a, as a baseline of having safety in your society if cancel culture is always imminent? Like think mm-hmm. about how many people censor themselves because of that, who haven't actually shared how they really feel about what's going on for fear of their family exiling them their friends. I mean, I experienced a barrage of insults. And when I was just being curious and asking questions, I got reviews that were negative. I got trolls, you know, and they go after your soul. They're not fucking around. (laughs) You know, I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, Yeah, I have. How Um, long did you go from hearing from your boss about mass Till you spoke out, I'd say the maybe eight months. Well, there was there was the mask thing, and then a few months later, I sort of made another little spiel on the air about masks again. Um, it was more about, about <laughs> mandates. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and uh, you know, kind of things built up. You know, when Way someone to push that you, edge, Way someone says you can't edge. do yeah, something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it was, um, and then I got pulled, and that's when I got pulled into the, to a very serious uh, Zoom meeting with. The head office people in Toronto, and it was a big, very scary. And I just put my tail between my legs and just, yeah, sorry, I won't. Okay, I've learned my lesson, and I promised I wouldn't post on social media about any of the stuff or whatever. And then, um, and so that was a, a very good boy for six months, and then finally, the Ottawa thing happened, and I realized that what was happening in Ottawa wasn't was being misrepresented in the mainstream news. Mm-hmm. And and I, that's when I just, I just kind of. You had and, blah, 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 blah. and then I was showing the door politely and <laughs> that was the end of me. But it's weird when, wow. when, when people can be canceled to the point where they have their social media deleted. And this has happened yeah. to a lot of prominent doctors and scientists and really like intellectual people. Um, it's almost like we're training the, the, the public to just be okay with people just disappearing. And that's what makes mm-hmm. me, that's what freaks me out. Cause you see some scary. of the, and no one even really bats an eye. And I, I always want to just like emphasize that even if you're okay with people being silenced who are saying things that you don't like, what it does on an unconscious level is teach you yourself that it might happen to you. Like, that's the thing is, even though we might be okay that this one voice got silenced, the fact that that can happen now to mm-hmm. any dissent means it can happen to anything and anyone that someone doesn't like. And 
that's why there's so much fear about the new bill that's going through the Canadian government. You know, it's cancel culture inherently creates an environment where only people who support the said thing are given a platform, which is there any other version of propaganda? Like I didn't, when you look at that, I, I also find what's fascinating is if you look at fact-checking, I've heard many things said that are pro-narrative that are not fact-checked. And if they were really concerned about me getting the actual truth, they would fact-check things that are false, that are pro the V and pro uh, the whole narrative. And that again was another red flag for me because I'm like, well, that's not true. Why is there not a warning on that? Why is that not deleted? Like you're okay with me getting information that actually is misleading, that causes me to choose to get the thing, but you're not okay with me getting information that might make me question it. Again, that's that whenever you mix media with lobbying, with profits, with government policy, and all those things are overlapping, there's just that inherent nature of being a human that when when you're in a state of mind where nothing is ever enough and profit over anything, which is unfortunately the type of personality that we promote in business, like a narcissistic uh, personality that doesn't have empathy, this is the kind of world you're going to get. And that's scary. That's very scary, especially when they're the ones who have their finger on the button of what conversations are allowed to be had. And they're also the ones working with other people to print more money. Mm. Like blaming inflation on the war. I mean, it's part of it for sure. And, and lack of supply. I mean, if you look at that, at the conspiracy theory agenda document of what is going to unfold, pretty sure shortage of supplies is on there. Shortage of food, inflation. And when you're in a state of fear, you'll give up your, your rights to be saved. Mm -hmm. And again, this is, you know, I'm not saying this is the nefarious intent. However, if you look at history, that's, you know, an easy conclusion to, uh, to draw. Yeah. Yeah. It's an easy conclusion to draw. And, you know, people don't like the reference to the world war, world war one and two. And I get that they feel like it's minimizing of the suffering that people experience them. I totally understand that. And I think what is actually trying to be communicated is that we have seen circumstances like this and they led to circumstances that were challenging. And so we're just saying when patterns start to appear similar again, it can lead to similar things. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's important to do that mindfully, but that's really what's yeah. trying to be communicated. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. People just get so bent out of shape when you even go near that. But we've been so spoiled for so long, you know, other countries. I mean, I have friends that I've met when I've traveled and yeah, it's, it's, they're not too far removed. It's either their, you know, their grandfather who fought in a war and had to kill people like they, they it's so close to and it's and it's and it's uh, it's rich in their culture. Yeah, with it really stories is. and art and dance and song like it's they have songs that they sing to remember like what they just went through. You know, in Canada, we don't have any of that. We've just, uh, you know, it seems like a just a thing that we were taught in a for a month in high school, some history mm, <laughs> lesson that we're so, so disconnected true. from, you know, so we're just so spoilt. We don't think that uh, anything like that could ever happen here, you know, no. And, you know, like the origins of our country are different, you know, we didn't separate from the Commonwealth. So really like liberation isn't in the core ethos. I think what's beautiful about Canada is the care and concern for other people. It's much like we can be overtly individualistic, which I think is often the, the criticism people make of the United States. Uh, I don't hold that same criticism. And often the criticism or the joke about Canadians is we say sorry for everything even for things we shouldn't be sorry for, which you think is actually quite a codependent behavior that we would rather avoid any sort of friction or conflict to keep the peace. 
Mm. And that's why like overt individualistic behavior is obviously damaging because you're not experiencing connection and community. Well, overt people pleasing and collective mindset can come at the cost of the individual too. So like both are extremes. Mm, interesting. And so it is about this balance, much like healthy relationships are about a balance of the individual with another individual creating something collectively. But the relationship itself should not cost your individuality. And most relationships are at the cost of the individual. And, and you know, that's why I think part of what's so balanced, what's so challenging is how do you honor the collective and the person? And I, that's not an easy balance because mm. most people go, well, well, what happens when your choice impacts me? And had the the V reduced uh, transmission, that might have been somewhat arguable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but that that is not true. And so any of these mandates that still exist based on the premise that it reduces transmission should not even be here. And, and everyone knows that. And that's why when someone says, follow the science, I'm like, how'd you follow it here? Like, where's the science? Like, <laughs> yeah. how did there's you no here? accountability. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, yeah. where's the accountability? Where's the people saying, show us the data? That's what I want. I want a court protecting us. I want this to have to get put in front of us for us to see, okay, what science are you seeing? Because it doesn't, I personally have no idea where it exists because I'm you just got to read one Twitter thread and you'll get every perspective, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. What, what do you think the effects of this psychologically are going to be a few years down the road? We're certainly going to experience PTSD in terms of mass seeing faces. You got to think on an unconscious level, we've been taught that a healthy individual is actually a biological threat. That's a pretty mm. big thing to walk around and not have anxiety, just seeing people who are seemingly healthy because they are, but because of the narrative we've been fed, that's a really, man, it's a scary and dangerous message that's been put into our, our, our psyche. The other side of it is that, you know, we, we have to learn how to master holding difference with love. I think we're being invited to do that. How to, you know, like a sign of you and I navigating a conflict successfully, it's not that we agree, it's that our views are broadened and both are valid in their experience and that we might understand each other in the world a little more. And that, you know, really truly successful relationships are open to the influence of the other person. And I've certainly seen no tol very little tolerance for difference and influence, even within our families and our romantic relationships. I think it's exacerbated uh, relationships that weren't doing well. You know, it's put a lot of strain on them. It's put a lot of strain on families. Uh, you look economically, I'm not an economist. I would argue though that any deeply stressful economic time is incredibly stressful on the immune system, incredibly stressful on the psyche. And, you know, I, I have hope that all of this is actually moving us to a totally different level of consciousness and what we're willing to accept from our governments and our media sources. I think all of that was already existing implicitly. I just think that the, what I might call corruption or dishonesty is just so much more explicit now. It's happening right in front of us with in some ways no effort to even try to tell all the truth or some truth. And, and that's not to say there aren't media outlets attempting to do that or trying to do that. So all of that to say like, I do have hope I have hope because it is waking us up to being more, uh, it will, it demands that we learn to have more capacity for different, it demands it because it's so easy to be in our own camp of belief and just other, the other belief. But no matter what perspective you have, that's just doing the same thing to the other person. It's still existing in division. And we see waves of culture that move through things like this before and Ultimately, society is deepened, you know, and our experience is deepened. And the alternative to that is our extinction. And that's probably not totally unlikely given our way of being and the way we handle conflict. And we've got mm. a couple angry old guys with buttons on some 
with some fingers on some pretty big buttons. Mm. And, you know, I think the idea of war is so archaic now. And to people like you and I, and who, what are we fighting about? It's about oil. It's about, I mean, war is a business. Even understanding that is confronting. So I have hope that it's all moving towards something better. And I want to participate in whatever that is. That's why I'm always very mindful about being loving to every perspective, because I want people to be loving to mine. And mm -hmm. when I'm faced with not that, I feel rejected and I feel hurt and I feel um, othered. And I recognize that it's so easy for me to do that, to protect my own perspective. And so it's a constant practice to be able to broaden mm. one's view with love. You're almost answering my last question for you, which was, I mean, you carry, uh, you carry the load of, of your clients and people that you connect with and, and you, you are a leader. You're helping people sort out their, what's happening in their minds and in their relationships. How do you care for yourself? Mm. How do you keep your head on straight, man, with all this going yeah. on in the world? And then you're also helping other people. Do you have any strategies that we can learn from? Yeah, I mean, you know, often when we're going through stress, the things that sort of keep us most balanced are the first things to go out the window. Right. You know, things like meditation, breath work, cold plunging. You know, we often go to uh, what has been referenced, uh, not by me, but by another teacher as being more dark coping mechanisms, drinking, you know, whatever it might be, addictions, the internet, mm -hmm. getting lost in arguments and chat rooms and in comment sections. I am very, I haven't always been like this, but I know in the last two years, especially, I've had to be very, very boundaried around where my energy goes and what I'm consuming. I notice I have a whoop and on the whoop thing, this wristband mm, measures right. your heart. Yeah. It measures your heart rate variability. The higher your heart rate variability, the more in uh, your, the more regulated your nervous system is. My HRV is not exceptional. And I did this test where I didn't consume any news or participate in any conversations for four days. And my HRV touched a, a, a rate that it had never touched before. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And now I we think don't, about, I was going to say, we don't, we forget that, um, and we all know stress kills and I mean, but just the idea of, of, of consuming news or talking about these uh, hot button topics. Yeah. We forget that that would really have an effect on our, uh, on our body. Sorry to cut you off. I'm just, no, it's, I'm just wowed it's by that. Yeah. Totally appropriate. And, and that's the thing is like, even if you, I'm sure you experience it, you know, you're constantly getting feedback, not always feedback you want, not always constructive. I would say most often probably not. Hmm. And so how does, I always think of Brene Brown's work. Like if you're not in the ring, like I don't even want to hear from you. Like mm -hmm. if you don't have a profile picture or a real name, I could give a fuck, you know, and you have to have, I think it's so normal and human to be influenced by the opinions, even of strangers because of the fear of not belonging. And I think what has been such a test of our time is listen, all humans have two needs. We have the need to belong and we have the need to self-express. But when self-expression threatens belonging, belonging usually wins, which essentially means that if what you're going to say might kick you out of your relationship, your family, your community, your job, then you're likely not to say it because evolution says if you're exiled from your society or canceled, another term of that, which is really the weaponizing of belonging, uh, if you are, then you're going to die. And that's really how the psyche thinks like if you're constantly consuming news that is negative and again like i know people go but i want to be informed and it's like yeah you can go to that once a week or twice a week set times for it because you're no good to us highly inflamed highly dysregulated you know and and that takes because there's an addiction that comes from the hit even of controversy there's the addiction that comes from a comment or a like, or trying to convince someone of your worldview, but that's not your job. You know, mm. like your job mm -hmm. is to show up as the best version of you and to do it with compassion, kindness, respect, to not tolerate bullshit, disrespect, 
and to really be the curator of your attention, your energy, and protect your heart, protect, protect yourself. Because what you realize when you start to speak out, whatever that might mean for someone, at the cost of belonging, you start to see that you are making also sort of like a battle cry to other people who are doing the same thing. Mm. And I'm sure much like you've experienced, I've experienced connection to people I never thought I would connect with. Like I was used to see your face on a bus and now we're talking, you know, and uh, a bus I can't catch, but you know, like, <laughs> I just watch it go away. Bye. Bye kid. Um, and like, I think that's been such a gift of this is like, and knowing that even the people I might have a different perspective with, who are some of the people I love most in the world, I still love them so much because I know that they came to their perspective. Even if they can't hold understanding and respect for mine, I love myself enough that that doesn't actually matter. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt to process. However, my integrity and my commitment to what is true for me and also being open to changing that is more important than any of it. And I think that's another thing I've learned in the last two years is that I, I, I think I've become, I say this with some trepidation, but I think I've become more of a man than I've ever been mm. because my commitment to the integrity of someone's sovereign choice for themselves matters more to me than money, than success, than an Instagram profile. I will always stand for that. I will stand for anyone's right to to choose something especially being able to be hesitant about it or curious about it and that goes for the choice to get it or not i you, i just don't think you can be vehemently that you have to get it and not be vehemently for the choice not to because it's such a slippery slope you're a beautiful soul brother you too man i really appreciate the you know, I think about uh, you being exiled from the radio and how much of a gift that has been because it has been your liberation to step into, I don't know if you wanted to start a podcast a long time ago, but I love how the universe is like, go, go do your thing. And you've done everything to prepare for this moment to be so good at delivering and, and asking questions, but you're just bringing Thanks, us on your curious adventure. And I'm so grateful for that. Thanks, man. And yeah, I, I wanted to do this for a long time and didn't have the balls. So you're right. Yeah. The universe just gave you a little okay. flick okay. off a cliff. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I think it's interesting how it does that. If you don't follow the call, the small sounds, it comes louder. And if we don't pay attention, it often becomes illness. Mm. So I think there's a gift in, in sometimes being a, given a cosmic two by four that yeah. knocks you. A cosmic you know. two by four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, thanks for your time today. It's been yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome, awesome, brother.